When the credits start rolling, but the movie keeps haunting you. Before, after. Then it's time to tune in to Dismembering Horror. We'll talk about what worked and also what didn't. We'll dissect every aspect. Maybe some we shouldn't. He turned out to be a completely unreliable asshole. Take it away, boys. That's right, you just heard it there, and you'll hear it here again. This is Dismembering Horror, episode 184 of Dismembering Horror. Hello, Tim. Hello, Ryan. And we got one more special guest person in the house to say hello to today. So let me introduce him. He is the originator of the YouTube channel Lessons from the Screenplay and its subsequent podcast, Beyond the Screenplay. He is a fellow filmmaker with an inherent talent rooted in aesthetics and emotional depth and an inspirational obsessiveness to get as close as possible to perfection as any human, I think, could. So joining us for the second time on our show, my friend and fellow banana slug, Michael Tucker. Welcome, Michael. Thank you. Hello. What a great intro. I want that to just play every morning when I wake up. That was, I feel (laughs) awesome now. (laughs) Well, we'll let you know when the episode's released. (laughs) Excellent. But hello, thanks for having me, guys. And so, yes, this is your second time on the show, the last time being episode 32 when we dismembered Jordan Peele's last film, Us. So now we're back to dismember his latest film, which we're very happy to have you back for. I'm happy to be here. I like this tradition that is developing here. Yes, us too. So um, I thought it'd be fun to start off real quick since we did have you for that. And uh, and retrospection can do and say a lot for films and our relationships towards them. Our original ratings per our rating system for us were Michael, you and I said to rent it. Tim, you said to buy it. So starting with you, Michael, how has uh, has that changed for you? Or even if your rating hasn't changed, have have you seen it recently enough? You can say uh, you've got new perspective of it. So I I haven't seen it recently. I might not have seen it actually since like preparing to come on your guys' podcast. Uh, So I don't think my rating has changed. I think my attitude toward it has maybe softened. I remember being agitated and somewhat upset at it in in some ways. And I think I've let go of that a little bit. Uh, So I would say my rating hasn't changed, but the emotional fervor that I was fighting at the time has uh, dissipated. <laughs> Great. All right, we'll check, check up again for uh, his fourth film to ask you. <laughs> You've watched Us recently. <laughs> and uh, Tim, kind of the same for you? or Yeah, um, I think I, I mean, I haven't watched it recently, but I definitely watched it again after our discussion. And I think I feel the same. Like, I can't remember exactly what I said when we talked about it, but I'm assuming that my the sentiment was the same, that I kind of like the weird world building and the performances in particular. And, you know, Winston Duke went to the same high school as me. So it's like, (laughs) what's what's not to love? (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I think I, I 
I would change my my review from a rent to a buy it. I have an appreciation for it where it's it's all kind of like what you said. It's weirdness, it's coolness, it's uniqueness. I mean, just the eeriness of her main performance, Lupita's performance and playing those two roles. And I think, um, I don't know, and we'll get into it more with this film too, but uh, uniqueness goes a long way for me. So I think all that has congealed uh, in a way that, yeah, I would totally buy it now. Yeah, great. That makes sense. Her performance is great. Uh, There's a lot of great performances in that. So definitely don't want to yeah. undercut that. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, we got, I mean, you can hear us talk about us in episode 32. We got to talk about Nope today. So let's get into that with the trailer here. So from this fine year of 2022, written, directed by Mr. Jordan Peele, here is Nope. Did you know that the very first assembly of photographs to create a motion picture was a two second clip of a black man on a horse? And that man is my great, great grandfather. Great. There's another great grandfather. But that's why back at the Haywood Ranch, as the only black-owned horse trainers in Hollywood, we like to say, since the moment pitchers could move, yeah, skin in the game. It's a bad miracle. They got work for that. All right. Nope. So, Mr. Tucker, per our rating system, we would love to know, would you tell yourself, based on this first viewing to avoid stream rent or buy nope and you can kind of uh summarize your experience or maybe review in summary to lead up to it if that helps yeah so first of all i love the song in that trailer and always just like that's a it's a cool song um yeah so so i saw this uh like about a week ago and i've been kind of thinking over it um, over time. And I think if you had asked me when I came right out of the theater, I probably would have said to avoid it. I had a lot of uh, bumps with it. Uh, but since then, I've kind of interrogated myself a little bit and the expectations that I might be putting on it and around it and thinking about, you know, if I wish I had seen this movie not knowing it was a Jordan Peele movie, like I had just gone into a theater not knowing what it was going to be and watched it without the baggage that comes with like, oh, it's the new Jordan Peele and the marketing that's framing it and him in a certain way. And 
Get Out being like one of my favorite movies and that's so good. Can you do it again? Like all that other baggage that I think got in the way of me actually just watching this movie. So uh, I would say that as I've thought about that and spent more time thinking about the things that did work and that were entertaining about it, I would upgrade it to a, a stream it would be my rating. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and Mr. Tim. Um, yeah, I, I mean, similar experience in the sense that the expectations and, and kind of, yeah, just what comes along with, with knowing you're going to see a, quote, Jordan Peele horror film. I have to try and, like, let go of that like if I just really hard think about, you know, in isolation, did I enjoy the movie as a movie? Yes. Did I love it? No. There's really only, I think, two main reasons that I didn't love it. So whatever. It's not like the whole thing just fell apart or anything for me. But um, I think I would, I would be a rent still. I would still pay money to to see it cool i'll second your rent i i think unlike you guys i was able to not go in with sort of expectations as far as a jordan peele movie based off of his last two but even though i'd close my eyes during that original trailer we just watched and would close my eyes during the new one Mm -hmm. the new one they say ufo all throughout it and that's the thing i was really trying to avoid is what kind of film this is so it was it was more about having those weird expectations of like, it could be another horror f- UFO film. What could that be? So it would have been nice just to sit down and let the movie unfold without that. But uh, in the end, yeah, mm. I think the uniqueness and maybe some of like the first viewing hiccups like have already just sort of settled in with me in a good way now that I've been able to sort of dig in on the themes a little more. And just as a movie going experience, I'll say I saw it as intended in IMAX and it was just killer that way. That's cool. Like the action scenes are just so cool. And the uh, the spectacle, as uh, we'll get into, that he was aiming for. So yeah, for that, I got to say Rent. I almost made it in totally spoiler free because I also closed my eyes in that trailer. Like as soon as it was like, oh, something's going to happen. I was like, eyes closed. I'm not going to know anything. So I went in super cold, except uh, our friend Alex Cayeros was with me. And as we were walking into the theater, he made some comment about like UFOs. And I was like, well, I almost made it into the theater without knowing there was something about UFOs here. But thanks, Alex. (laughs) Thanks, Alex. So we just had on for Crimes of the Future. Yeah. I, you know, I don't think that this, what I'm about to say, lands in any of our categories per se, because it's not necessarily the film's fault. But, and like, I avoided as much as I possibly could, but I ended up, I think I ended up before I knew what trailer I was watching the very first time, getting just enough information to go, oh, damn. Now, mm-hmm. I, I okay, I, I've seen like three things that I wish I hadn't seen. One of them is, well, it doesn't really matter what any of them are. All of them end up being misdirects in the movie. And mm-hmm. so from a marketing standpoint, I kind of feel, uh, it, it was annoying to me, I guess, 
maybe this should be a what didn't work, but <laughs> I, I I don't like it when marketing kind of I guess mis misleads you. I, I'd rather them just make it a mystery. Yeah. Like don't don't show me anything and make me go in semi blind, like blind enough to to want to know what they're getting at. But this one like every time one of those moments came up and then was effectively subverted, I felt like I was being kind of messed with in it, like from a marketing standpoint. And then I'm like thinking about that instead of the movie in the moment. So that mm-hmm. I think is just annoying. Yeah. Those like- I hate, I, I'm really modern marketing, modern, modern trailers. I'm, I'm really like against at this point. Like I love the first 20 seconds of that teaser trailer, the posters and marketing in that sense has been cool. Some of them more right. like the, this, you know, the hard to place imagery, like, um, the 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 uh, carnival tassels going up right. into the sky or whatever mm-hmm. or even like the chimpanzee you know <laughs> in a shoe on its balancing on its 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 front stuff mm-hmm. like that I don't know that was all cool but anyways got a lot more to get to here so we'd love it if you Michael being our guest and we are here to assist you or assist for you. But could you tell us what was this film? <laughs> Ooh, that's yeah, that's a okay, a big question. So I think this film was a uh, attempt at a return to the old school summer blockbuster. I was getting kind of Jaws vibes from it, signs, close encounters of the third kind, you know, hearkening back to some of those classic movie blockbusters that we we have um, with some interesting, weird ideas sprinkled throughout and kind of examining, I guess, exploitation of people and animals and Hollywood and uh, flappy plastic men, question mark. Um, uh told in the form of a what kind of comes off as a horror but i think is more like action thriller ultimately um uh yeah With and a, as far as sequence of events in summary too okay yeah so starts off with what's his name david keith uh but so you're on a ranch and he got the the son and the father and they take care of horses and they've been like doing the stunt horse thing for forever. The father dies in this mysterious way where stuff starts raining from the sky. doesn't make any sense. Jump to later uh, son and sister have to keep the business going, but the son isn't great at it and the sister is better, but kind of weird and and they don't get along exactly and it's still not enough money because the horses aren't doing great so they have to sell the horses to a rancher who is the star of an old sitcom that had this famous horrific backstory where when this rancher guy uh performer basically was a kid he was a star of the show and a chimp went crazy and murdered everybody and it was traumatic and horrific and then our protagonist's son realizes essentially that there's a UFO in the sky and he wants their family to be the first people to take a picture of it so that they can sell that picture for lots and lots of money because they need lots of money. 
And so they team up with the Fry's electronics guy and a <laughs> grizzled old cinematographer who wants to capture something real to try to take this picture of the UFO along the way. They learn that this UFO is not a spaceship with little green men on it, but it itself is a creature and it is a wild animal that can be understood the way that a horse could be potentially understood. And working together, they manage to barely escape with their lives and take this picture of this creature, the first picture of an alien life form. Um, the end. Ish. That's pretty good. <laughs> great. Yeah. Yeah. Can't think That's of anything the movie. That was great. <laughs> All right. So then, with that, we're all on the same page, whether we've seen it or not, you listening, but we hope you have, but you're welcome either way. Happy to have you here. So yeah, let's get to our first big section, what worked. What worked, what worked for you? What worked for you? <laughs> it worked like a charm, Smith. <laughs> what worked? All right. Anything, Mr. Avoid up to stream that did stand out work for you? Uh, I feel like a lot of things we could touch on, whether performances, theme, scenes, wherever you want to start. Yeah. So I've been trying to put a lot of thought into this side of things to make sure I'm not just a Debbie Downer. And yeah, so I think the the themes that are being explored, I think are really interesting. It's a interesting like venue to explore them in of like big summer blockbuster about exploitation and animals and the nature of you know humans as animals and all these things um so i think as with like all jordan peele movies thus far the ideas and the themes that are being explored i think are cool and interesting and i like that he's putting them in in these movies to be explored um the Humor, when it was there, mostly worked for me, and I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the kind of kooky Fry's Electronics guy, so there's kind of like the, the wacky side of the Jordan Peele humor that I enjoyed and got into. There were also character moments that felt really real. Like, I forget exactly what the, the context is, but when uh, the brother and the sister, I need to remember their names, but they have like some... OJ, OJ and uh, M. OJ and M, thank you. There's some moment toward the end where they make some discovery or confirm their idea was right and they burst out in this like, that's what I'm talking. And it just felt like a really honest, real humorous moment where like the audience was laughing along with them. So yeah, I think there are several moments where the the humor pulls you into the story and makes it super entertaining. Um yeah, and just I can like, tell you what that moment was. Please do, because I don't remember the context. Okay, so it's they're on the porch. They've just recruited the cinematographer, and he pulls out a hand crank um, camera, and <laughs> right. M says, "Like I told you, he would bring a non-electric camera or something <laughs> right. like that." And they like, like he's the guy, yeah. and they they both you know erupt in whatever right. celebration. Yeah, thank you. Yes, that, yeah, that was a hilarious moment. Uh, I really liked that moment. Um, yeah, and so, uh, yeah, I think it was, I, I appreciate its ambition and what it was going for and the kind of interesting remix of elements that it was using to create that story. There was lots of things set up that were then paid off. 
yeah, so a unique a unique unique cast of characters and some unique themes to be front and center in a summer UFO thriller horror uh, blockbuster. So that was cool. Great. Well, great overview of what worked for you. Alas, we are here to get in further and dismember everything you just said, because this is dismembering horror. Okay. So to start off, how about with uh, performances? I wanted to shout out uh, Daniel Kalua, who's his uh, returning bud from Get Out. And specifically something we mention a lot in horror movies, um, or when we've been talking about horror movies here, is I get upset when it seems like there's a lack of characters whose reactions are what some might say more subdued. Mm, mm -hmm. You know, that it's rare. I mean, it's certainly out there. But it feels like it's so the default, and maybe I just get this because I like try to write characters like this, and people would be like, "Well, I'd be freaking out," and I'm <laughs> like, "Yeah, well, I wouldn't be. I mean, I'd be in inside, I'd be whatever, but I wouldn't be like screaming my head off or whatever." Mm -hmm. So that's just you, okay? <laughs> so I'm glad to get that kind of person who's the more like, yeah, we see on the outside he's able to keep his cool somewhat but what he's going through on the inside is just so much and like layered and rich so like uh when that really stood out to me with OJ was um when he was parked outside of the house and it was one of the titular line moments <laughs> where uh he's you know the electronics go out in the car it dies and he's sensing it overhead and he's like almost about to get out and says nope um, but then rather than just cut there, which it felt like it almost would have in another movie, it just stayed on him. And that was more the scene. And we just went through his internal reacting processing of just like kind of the breathing to himself, kind of going through the what do I do right now? And that like kind of moment just brought me right right in. And again, a kind of character we don't see a lot. So yeah, shout out for that and making it work and making people in such a way where people aren't just going to go be like, why isn't he screaming right now? So mm -hmm. yeah. kind of harkens back to <laughs> like, that's one of my favorite things about Get Out is that, you know, the the character that Daniel Kaluuya plays and that is also kind of like a, a smart person or like a, a protagonist in a horror film that isn't doing the dumb thing that makes you detach and like stop identifying with people like no why would you ever do that like that's clearly that's so dumb in that movie he's uh i think he's asking all the right questions and suspicious of all the right things along with the audience and like the movie does work to to make it so that he doesn't leave the situation but you understand that he's kind of cluing into the same things that you are and so i also appreciate that appreciate that and that in this movie it's like no, yeah, if, if you're freaking out and you're in danger, like the survival instinct probably wouldn't be, well, I should run around and scream and wave all my hands and draw attention to myself. It's like, <laughs> no, I'm going to close the door. I'm going to be here. I'm going to quiet. Just nope. I'm going to like deal with it. So I so I plus one to that. I, I like it when movies do that. And um, yeah, great. And last on uh, performances, not a lot to say on it, but Kiki Palmer is great. Is like so fun. Yeah. And just brought a great entertaining energy and like classic screenwriting thing. You know, they're just very much opposites and it's that much more fun when it's a brother sister pairing. Um, and then shout out to Steven Yoon as 
quote-unquote jupe, or, mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess for Jupiter's uh, claim, whatever his pro- ranch is called. Um, but that did a lot for me. Like when we cut from his trauma as a kid to the chimp killing, the chimp incident of Gordy the chimp, to then how he carries himself as an adult, where it's like we have he's he's really... Uh, I don't know, keeping it below. Like there was a moment where someone asked him about how it's affected him or something like that where like it, it would have come up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When he tells the SNL skit story instead mm-hmm. of just, you know, as a cover for what actually happened. Mm-hmm. Like that was great. And he has his uh, closet, if you will, which was a literal closet of this memory um, as a as a secret little thing. But yeah, just something about that that did round out his character and made him... Um, his performance work in a really understated character uh, way for me. That sequence was really funny too. When he was just like shouting how I am, you know, Chris Kattan is there and Chris Kattan is killing it. Of course he's good. Like that was. Fun. <laughs> yeah. 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 Something great with that, where I feel like a lot of modern movies, they're almost like afraid to embrace like new pop culture references mm. because like, I don't know as if it's, as if it's weird to do or something, but like really it does help us put us in reality. So our world. So yeah, I appreciated that anything. And that's a Jordan Peele thing. <laughs> I feel like that he does well. Yeah. That was good. That was good. Um, What's on your mind, Tim? Oh man, I don't know. I'm still kind of, I watched it last night, so I'm still in that like weird zone. Well, where are you at with uh, themes? Uh, I'm, I'm overwhelmed, I think, because there's a part of me that is like, I, I, (laughs) this is a byproduct of it being a Jordan Peele movie that I'm like, oh, I think I'm inappropriately searching for thematic, like, uh, explanation where I'm like, oh, does this mean this? Because he's trying to say this kind of thought process and I'm I'm trying to not go down that rabbit hole too much because I think I'm I'm just making things up. <laughs> well, so for example, like I'm over analyzing every little thing and I think it's because of how in get out literally every line and every action it has like layered deeper meaning. And and I don't think that this movie is that I don't think, but it could be. So, for example, (laughs) this whole theme of there's two big, big themes that I kind of walked away with. Number one is the exploitation of really anything. But in this case, it seems to be kind of bridging this gap between the exploitation of animals as performers or just in general, but also connecting that to the black experience and how black people or at really any people of color in the US have also been exploited in entertainment specifically forever. And on top of that, this sort of very clear erasure of that, uh, the, the, those people in entertainment over the years. So I, I, I think all of that is working really, really well. And I'm, I'm super like, compelled and and interested in what the movie is is doing around that Mm -hmm. my problem is is then i think i'm going too far and being like oh well if it's about if we're talking about that 
does this thing, is this moment or this choice, design choice, also speaking to that? Like the blow-up inflatable clown dancer things that are outside of car dealerships. What do we call those things? I don't know. I I was trying to search for that earlier. I have no idea. Inflatable clown people works for me, though. (laughs) Yeah. So... I could very easily make the leap that that is a design choice specifically to speak to this theme, that they're all multicolored, right? They're they're diverse in their coloring. Uh, they are used as an attraction. They're exploited for their performance, right? They're sort of clowns, which is a obviously been a a derogatory term for black performers forever um and so i'm like oh that's cool that that maybe that's that was a specific choice and then having the carnival flags which are also multicolored be a thing that like the alien ufo can't like digest that it like that that hurts it somehow. I'm I'm trying to like make some sort of leap to that that there's connected meaning there. Probably not. <laughs> um, but then also at the end, this is where I think I'm like I'm way down the rabbit hole. At the end, also I'm not black, so what the <laughs> fuck do I know? Right? Like I don't know what I'm talking about. So, but, but I'm reaching. I think that the desi- there's two components to the design of the actual UFO in the end, when it, when it unfurls into this sail-like thing. And <laughs> I had the thought, I was like, are we talking about slavery now? Like, are, are we kind of making this connection that, and I thought this throughout the movie as a possibility, that this could be an, an allegory for the slave trade experience that the sales of this monster are are a, are a are symbolic toward the sales of the ships that slaves were brought over on that maybe is the biggest reach i've i have in this but i do think that there's potentially something to this idea of like if in the abstract if you took this story you can kind of maybe see these signposts that that are similar to the stories we hear about how the slave trade happened. It, it was exploitative. It was happening within a community. Um, I think maybe because I saw the preview for the the uh, woman king pr- prior to this, the the trailer. Mm. Is that the name of it? I think it, that is where it's like a it's it takes place in that era of of Africa. And there's a this is off topic, but <laughs> whatever. Anyway, so. I was maybe influenced by that, but that the the ideas around exploiting people for profit or anything for profit. Uh, obviously, slaves were probably one of the worst examples of that, if not the worst. That felt like it was underneath stuff for me. Maybe it was just on my mind. Whatever, but I either way. At the end of the day, I think that there's an evocative nature to this film and all of his films that even if it's unintentional, it's gotten me thinking about those possibilities. And so I think that that to me is is a success. Like that makes the movie work on a level because it's at least evoking 
this sort of contemplation. Um, the other big theme, obviously, is the getting the shot, right? Whatever it takes to get the shot. And I don't know. That's a. I don't know where to start with that, but it. It that's a long conversation. Yeah. Well, so it's interesting because I think a lot of the things that worked for me, like they kind of worked, but then they also kind of didn't work, and so they kind of go hand in hand. Um, and so maybe we can talk about this more when we switch over to what didn't work. But I think it's not crazy, Tim, to be kind of going down these rabbit holes because it does feel like the movie invites you to think about it and interrogate it in this way. Like it starts with this cold open of chimpanzee and you get the shot of the the shoe standing on its end. Like it starts with a very thematic image that's sort of saying like, think about this. And then you have these kind of like serious title cards that come up at different times. And so it does feel like the movie is asking you to think about all of these ideas, and I think there is richness and depth in there to be explored. Now that you said the inflatable clown thing, I'm like, oh yeah, that's totally symbolic of like that represents the theme of like they're exploiting exploiting these people to sell cars. Like that totally makes sense. So like I think all those things are in there. Um, and my the tease that I will give for when we get to the what doesn't work is that I wish it was more clear throughout the movie exactly what the themes were and exactly what the movie was saying about them so that you're not sitting here the next day trying really hard to figure out what was what and how that uh, played into everything else. All right. Well, I think I'll be on the side as I often am where I can say uh, the theme in this is like the presentation idea of themes and what it's about about is like right exactly at my level where when I immediately get out, I'm kind of, do not mean that as a pun, um, <laughs> but immediately get out of the movie, uh, got out of the movie. Um, I'm kind of going like, wait, what, what was, what was all the monkey stuff? Like what, uh, what, why did he do that? You know, kind of thing. Like, what was that all there for? And then just think about it going all more. It's like, oh, of course, like him sticking its hand out to it. Like that's just another like interaction of gaining trust with an animal or not kind of thing. Okay, so so that is there, you know, uh, is the the Ricky character um, that has a lot to do with now how is he's trying to establish almost a relationship <laughs> with this animal monster UFO squid thing parachute thing, <laughs> um, and and then also on, uh, but then yeah, so so it's, it was just kind of at that sweet spot level where it's like not totally, totally clear. Oh, that's what it was. And I just kind of leave it at that, but gives me enough to chew on, but then not so far where it was like, uh, I guess just going down the rabbit holes, like for you, Tim, maybe because I could see it, um, being about like, and here's, yeah, something else, like when I'll say theme really works for me is when it can't be put into like just one word, but like the different words that sort of do get at it, you can see kind of connected threads to it all. Because that's what I want from a film in the end. Like, it's fine if it's like Lord of the Rings is about friendship. Great, done. Okay, cool. <laughs> but for like, uh, I don't know, horror especially or kind of the, the movies that I like, the, it defeats the purpose of what I like about movies to be able to put it into a single word. Otherwise, why not just 
write it or, you know, whatever. It should be an ex something on every level of the filmmaking itself. So the ones that kind of stood out for me, um, and I am kind of cheating because, you know, I watched the Jordan Peele interviews afterwards and he sort of <laughs> helped mm -hmm. give words to what I was already thinking. But mm -hmm. um, the idea of spectacle was the big one. So wanting to make it about spectacle and our relationship to spectacles, which he said he wanted to make it about that phenomena of people slowing down to look at the car crash on the side of the mm -hmm. road. Um, but then to do it in something that's a spectacle in itself, too. Like you said, you know, it's like a reminder of summer blockbuster movies is the first thing you said about it. So the fact that it's working in that meta way too is great, great, great. And then um, our exploitation of the things within spectacle, <clears throat> of course. And uh, like you kind of left it at that thought of, all right, well, what about capturing it? And I feel like that's that like what happened to the cinematographer in this movie. Like there's always that, well, how far can you push something until it's going to bite back, so to speak? Right. So, uh, yeah. I mean, having TMZ show up is sort of a very <laughs> on-the-nose component of that, right? Yeah. Like mm -hmm. there's this, I, I think that sort of attached to this notion of, how did you put it? Uh, uh, the the capturing of the of whatever the thing is is this this sort of idea of consumption that we are consumers of these things and that the alien itself is consuming us it's about that it's about it just predator prey sort of construct but like that can be uh connected to to this idea of consumption right like they why why does getting the the shot um get you a lot of money, right? Like, it's because there is a, I'm going to just use all of the, the eating puns. Uh, there's an appetite for that, right? Like, there's an audience out there that is hungry for those things, and that capitalism is kind of based around all of that. And, and so, to me, there's sort of almost this weird subversive commentary on consumerism itself throughout. I mean, Fry's went out of business because of the change in consumerism in our world right now, right? Like, so there's all these little nods to it that I'm like, I'm, I don't know, am I, am I reaching on that too? Or is that all intentional? Or is it just there because it's there? Like, that's the world we live in now. And it, and it just sort of permeates throughout because how can it not? But, but the... <laughs> the the idea that it, it's obviously connected to the exploitation themes as well, right? That to the desire to capture this thing that there's a public appetite for, and I mean capture visually, that it doesn't exist unless we get the picture, unless we have evidence of it. And that's the only way for us to pass it along to the consumer is a really interesting theme. And the whole movie is wrapped up in that. Like that is their goal. Singularly, if you're just looking at it from a plot point of view, their goal is to get the picture so they can save their ranch. Um, but like... I don't know. I, I I don't know where to go from from there without kind of spiraling into like a weird oblivion. 
<laughs> which is my favorite thing about good theme when it's well done. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's no easy answer about those things in the end. Yeah. So just just for an example as how my brain started working, which I also think, I think that I may have lost my mind a little bit. Maybe that's where I'm at now, but bear with me. When we see the mouth of the alien at the very end, and it's this sort of green ribboned square, multi-layered square, almost like a tesseract in a way has sort of a dimensional component to it. All I could think about was a computer chip. And I was like, this mm. feels like a thing that I've seen in like an Intel commercial. And I was like, are, 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 am, I, <laughs> am I crazy to think that that design is somehow meant to make us think about like our literally like our iPhone? I think there's a connection there, but I don't know if it's quite connected to the theme stuff we were just talking about. <laughs> well, in the sense that if it is connected to the iPhone, the iPhone is like the premier example of capitalistic consumerism, right? Like oh. it is the representation of that. So is that crazy to make that leap? Maybe. I've I don't heard know. People also describe it as feeling very like like a camera. Like, you know, the, the credits at the beginning are through that weird hole, totally. right? And you're kind of getting all of that. And so it's, and at the end of the kind of tunnel or mouth, whatever you're traveling through is the projected image of like, mm. you know, their great, great, great grandfather on the horse. So, so I don't think that's a, I think there's definitely some imagery there that is trying to evoke something with technology and the role of that in the exploitation process. Actually, that That's is cool. kind of, yeah. there. I, I was about to say you're crazy, but now I think Michael <laughs> helped point out that there's definitely something there because the, um, the, the, the well that takes the pictures is basically the mirror of oh, yeah. the monster and its belly right, uh, right, throat. Right. Yeah. That's okay. cool. Um, so I guess, I guess that's all, everything I've said is all to say that I'm like desperately digging for meaning with everything in the movie. And I think sometimes, you know, you, you, you're digging in the right spot and sometimes you're just complete, like, I think maybe I'm out of my mind and just like in the wrong spot. I think it's helpful to go like, uh, you got to start broader and then see where right. you land and then go into those little things. But Michael, any thoughts all that and what I was bringing up about theme and yeah, I I have thoughts. I'll save them for the the what didn't work side of things. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll we'll keep it well, positive. I'd be curious to ask too, even if it's keep it on this movie, but more in general, like um, since you're um. Mr. Beyond the Screenplay, Lessons from the Screenplay here, like uh, hearing you guys talk about theme a lot. Like, I'd be curious, yeah, what you thought of how that's a what worked for me of kind of defining theme in that way. And, you know, if you can see how that applies to this movie as far as like couldn't necessarily put it in one word. And that's what I like about it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what I'm hearing from you, I also like in, in a movie is when a theme is when there's kind of like a moral argument that the film is, you know, interrogating, dissecting, showing the different sides of and putting, making you think about a thing. Like that's what I love is when a movie makes me 
think about how do I feel about this idea or this this these two versions of the truth or these two ways of living or these ideas of you know you know waking yourself up to the idea of exploitation and its role in every our everyday life like making us think about those things is I think the uh, one of the great things that movies can do in a way that isn't didactic and isn't you know yeah an essay that is handed to you to like read this and then you will be thinking about but like putting it into entertainment exploring it through characters through situations that can be emotionally compelling and also thought-provoking uh when it's all working great i feel like the theme is there in every element of the filmmaking and it's achieving it's something that only the medium of film can do so I definitely agree with with the yeah the your the aspiration of how theme <laughs> should be uh, present in a movie, and as you may sense with my dancing round, I don't necessarily feel like this movie achieved those things. Great. Well, anything else? Yeah, you can list off for us here. Share that did work for you. Scenes, whatever. Um. <clears throat> I think I think we pretty much like covered it. There's just yeah, the humor, I think the the wackiness of the world building, the sequence where OJ's in the barn and you see the alien creatures come out, like that was at once a moment of like, oh, okay, we're going to do this scene, but also like, oh, but there's something interesting and weird about these aliens and they're kind of cute, but they're kind of freaky at the same time <laughs> and like I'm I'm sitting up in my seat now. I'm interested in where this movie is going to go. Um, so it was a little disappointing. That then it was like, no, those aren't the real aliens. Those mm-hmm. are like kids in, in costumes. Because the movie was so effective at making me be really intrigued by them and their appearance and like, well, what do they want from him? Like, they're not aggressive. But so <laughs> the movie was so good at, you know, executing that scene that it made me want more of, of that scene throughout the rest of the movie. Okay, cool. Yeah, I was actually curious from you guys if uh, you were when you were watching it, you're like, oh, wait, these are aliens or are they not? It was interesting. Like my experience with that scene was it kept feeling like it could go either way. Like when it first appeared, I'm like, no, these are someone playing a joke or something. Then the way they kept the way they kept shooting it and it looked I'm like, wait, no, wait, is this it? I don't know. Anyway, that was. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I'll just list off some things I had here that worked for me then to get out of the way. I loved anything where, you know, you mentioned action movie, but I think you can mention just as much something that action appears in is the Western. So I loved that aspects of it. The end, like getting that actual hero shot of like him on the horse framed in the thingy dingy. Um, seeing an IMAX, those like chasing shots when they're on a vehicle or a horse, all that. And doing something really fun where it's almost that like meta level of like you can do almost like in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where it's like you can pull off a Western nowadays if you're making it about people who make Westerns, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I I really appreciated that and enjoyed that about it. Um, Like you mentioned, very Spielberg, the spectacle scene at IMAX. Yeah, like it just said, worked great, great for me. Um, I did... Like what I liked about the design of the of the monster alien, whatever you want to call it, is that it was very alien, and that's where my mind mm-hmm. was going when you described the kind of technology connection. Was like 
it, yeah, like a living parachute jellyfish thing, like where it was like as when your brain tries to identify it as, wait, is this a machine or is it organic? And then it just kind of can't, you know, on top of that. That for me is like the inherent definition of alien, like something you can't really fathom what it is. It's truly alien. So loved, loved that about it. Um, loved that it was California set, like uh, like uh, us, very fun. Um, Santa Cruz down to LA area. Love it, love it. Did you guys think it was scary? Oh yeah, that's what else I wanted to mention. Mm. It was like, I loved the uh, the scene where they get sucked up in the digestive track. Yeah. And they're like screaming and it's done in close up. It was kind of like, uh, reminded me almost the Tom Cruise War of the Worlds. Oh yeah. But that mm-hmm. was the horror moment of the movie and the lead up that whole scene. Mm-hmm where I felt the horror of, like, it was funny, the audience who was excited or whatever for the presentation they were about to get, like, I kind of, I don't slow down when there's an accident on the side of the road. I hate it when people do that. So I was almost like in the mode of being like a little persnickety poo. Like, yeah, these (laughs) guys are going to get it for trying to exploit the spectacle. But the presence of the, the woman who was the kid who got mauled by the chimpanzee, like I just, that just made things real. And I like felt for her so much. So that turned it all into a Mm. tragedy again. So that whole scene, the suspense of it, leading up to it and then getting a horror payoff. Yes. And then as well as some of the other just kind of spookier, eerie moments throughout. Totally. How about you? Yeah, I I feel like so I was really freaked out at the beginning and kind of creepy, ominous, like starting, uh, you know, chimpanzee opening that that happens made me be like, oh, what is that? I don't know what's going to happen. I am kind of uncomfortable. I haven't felt this way in a movie theater before. I think by the time all the big set piece things started happening, I was very in my head and in analysis mode and trying to be like, why is this movie not working for me? (laughs) And so I wasn't really, I pretty much at no point was I like along for the ride during those sequences and didn't find them particularly scary either. And part of that I think has to do with like the rules of the monster, which we can get into in a little bit. but yeah, as far as it, me being afraid it was going to be scary or too much of a horror movie, that ended up not being uh, a problem for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I I guess most of what I want to say about it is kind of in what what does not work. But <laughs> I think that the if there is, an, up until a point, there was a extremely effective suspense built in certain scenes. That get that really like there's, of course I had I I feel like every time I go to the movie theater I have like other people create a strange experience for me like that is often unpleasant. I picked a seat in like the third row in a theater which nobody ever sits in, and dead center and right before the movie started, seven girls like maybe twenty five year old girls walked in and filled every seat next to me. <laughs> what? And they've got Amazing. their their candy and stuff. And so they're of all the seats in the theater and it wasn't that packed. They, you know, there a woman is a young woman is sitting right next to me. So I was a little preoccupied with this. The 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 upside of it was that they were on edge. Like they came mm, to be mm-hmm. scared and this girl was like 
you know, knees to her chest, like up and down, like be- like leaning forward, the whole thing. So that was cool because I was like, okay, she's she's really experiencing the intention of this these suspense moments. And so I actually quite appreciated, I mean, I didn't like having somebody sitting next to me <laughs> that much because I never do, but for the effect that seeing how the movie was getting to her, I was mm-hmm. like, okay, the, it's it's working. That's cool. Um, there are a couple moments in particular, the lead up of, I mean, the moment that OJ is in the stable and we see a alien figure crouched down with long fingers for the first time, that whole sequence, I mean, it's very short, uh, I thought was the most effective suspense, scary, like, like get you to be afraid sequence and, and until it wasn't. Mm. Um, but, and I, will not say what I'm going to say. I'll save it. Uh, Let's well, get to the what did not work. Let's do it. I know. I'm, we're going to right now. I'm just about the, <laughs> that scene where it eats all the people I thought was like just masterful. That's, yeah. Sorry, you guys weren't able to engage with it. We should have had the girl next to you on our show here, Tim. Yeah, um, I think she was a TikToker. Okay. <laughs> we'll find her. Okay, cool. Well, let's do it, guys. Moving on to our next section here. What did not work it's not ready yet seems to work okay no something important's missing what did not work (laughs) michael so i feel like the execution of most things i had a problem with to (laughs) some degree straight up wow uh (laughs) But I think it's because of of kind of the bigger conversation we're having around like theme and what is it trying to do. As I was saying, I think it, I love it when all the pieces of a movie are working together to enhance and interrogate that theme. And I feel like that was not the case for me in this in this movie, where certain pieces of the movie were and some pieces weren't. Some of them were some of the time, some of them weren't other parts of the time. And so I was really wanting to have like a better like handhold throughout the movie of like, this is what I'm like, should be paying attention to as far as the meaning of what we're talking about here. And I kept getting thrown off the movie because I it didn't feel like it was supplying me with good enough handles to hold on to that. So yeah, so I feel like there's that. And then kind of my other, I I bumped on character construction and that kind of relates to theme where like the characters were neat and fun, but I didn't understand why any of them were in this movie. And I feel like when you have like a really good movie and a really tight script, it's like, oh no, this is definitely the protagonist. This is the only person that this movie could be about. These are the only people that could have been on this journey with them it all makes sense and it's all working together. And I didn't get a sense of that from kind of any of the characters. Like OJ is, <laughs> Ryan is shaking his head. <laughs> I'm, I'm agreeing Ryan is, is like. <laughs> I want to respond, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll finish my wrap up or my summary and then we can talk about it. But yeah, so so that with, with characters that we can dive into individual ones if we want. 
And then the reveal of the UFO is the creature is a cool idea. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. It's an animal. We're continuing to talk about animals. But that the rules around it immediately kind of broke the world for me. And that's part of what happened for me with Us is that at some point in Us, the movie stops making sense to me in a literal level. It still works on a metaphorical level and like the ideas that are getting explored totally make sense. Uh, but the literal, well, wait, so like literally there's an underground city and literally every, like <laughs> as soon as you start to get some of those reveals, my belief in the world breaks down. And that started to happen for me with the monster of like, what, like, why is it only here and why is it territorial? And okay, so it doesn't like it if you don't, it doesn't like it when you look at it in its face like a horse or like a, like some other mammal that has an amygdala that recognizes like human faces. And so it somehow recognizes faces like earth terrestrial faces and it doesn't like them, but it's also a parachute. Uh, and like, what is the visual acuity? Like it, it can recognize mammalian faces, but it also doesn't like it when inflatable printed faces are looking at it when it, but only when they're flat. So like, what is it? So just the, the more we learned about it, the more questions I had and the less it felt like everything was holding up to the stress tests that were happening in my brain. Um, yeah. It's so those are kind that, of the, the big things. It's funny. That almost kind of was our joint, um, in summary, what did not work about us was like doing one thing too many in the world building where all of a sudden rather than feeling like vast and an unending mystery it was like as if there was a just one too many stilts that were kind of just a little too um delicate i think this is this is a a a, a much bigger question or topic to to discuss like in in super in depth but on the surface, to me, what we're really just talking about is the why. And, like, I don't think you have to have a why for a movie to work. Like, uh, am, am I making sense by saying the why? Um, like, why is the alien there? Why Why? Mm. Why does mm-hmm. this matter to anybody? What? Like, what's the why of the story? And I'm not saying that every story has to have a concrete answer to that. I think a lot of stories do well by by making it about wondering what the why is. But in this case, I think part of what is hurting the movie is if you're playing the subversion game, which I think this movie is is largely doing, it's a lot of subverting the the expectation of all sorts of different things. The the scene I was describing of the of the aliens that turn out to be not aliens, they're just the, the neighbor's kids. That's subverting an expectation of this scene. And we've and that scene exists in lots of movies, right? Like that's not a thing. But the the why I don't necessarily think that if you're constantly subverting the audience and you don't have an answer to the why. I think that's where things just become super murky. Like, I agree. I, I don't connect with the characters in this movie at all. And I think it's because I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know why they're there. I mean, thematic, or not thematically, plot-wise, I know why they're there. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and that's cool. And that connects to some really interesting thematic stuff about erasure of of people of color in the in the entertainment industry and and elsewhere historically and uh, us as an audience being able to see people of color in these spaces that traditionally have been they've been erased from i think is awesome but is it connecting on a character level uh, at all <laughs> to the plot and to the motivations of those characters. And I just don't, I don't, I never felt that that was, that the answer was yes. In fact, I felt more like disconnected as the movie went on. So like when they have that connection at the end where like, you know, OJ does the like point to his eyes, point at her eyes. Thematically, that is connected to a lot of the things that are going on in the story, and plot-wise, it's connected, right? Like it's it, it's a uh, it's not even a metaphor; it's it's a uh, a visual representation. Yes, yes, it, yeah. <laughs> a motif. Uh, it's a motif of what's going on with the with a, a rule they've determined with the with the alien itself. Like when you look a thing in its eyes, it recognizes you, or it it can it, it you know the amygdala is firing off, right? And that, I think, thematically is really interesting because it, it, there's all sorts of things you can talk about within that. W the observer, like once you once you introduce an observer to anything and, and film and photography and all of these things are connected to all of that, it changes the, 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 uh, the reality of that thing. And that's, that's cool. I could talk about that all day. There's a cool experiment that, uh, the double slit experiment that talks about that, which is really interesting. So, but why, right? Like, why is that relevant in this story? And I never felt like it landed on, on, on an answer. And I'm not sure that it, Jordan Peele wants it to, but the effect that that ultimately had for me was just to be like feeling a little more lost at sea than grounded. And unfortunately, the ultimate effect was me going, I don't know what to think. Yeah. Well, and even just like in searching for like character arcs, like like some kind of emotional change, like that that moment that I think you're talking about with between OJ and his sister, um, like it felt to me like that was supposed to be like almost a triumphant moment of like, oh, look, like now they're working together. Now they're connected. But that didn't feel, if it was set up, it was done on a very like surface level thing. And, and it didn't feel like that was a thing they were struggling against really beyond that kind of first scene when he's trying to do business and she's kind of like making a mess of things. Um, and doesn't even really make that much of a mess of things. So, you know, even just the construction of the protagonist of OJ, he's kind of this like mumbly, introverted, quiet kind of person. Like, why? What does that mean? How is he different by the end? Like, it doesn't seem like he has changed. It doesn't really feel like the characters around him have changed. Even Fry's guy, like trying to get over his his girlfriend is like an interesting setup, but that doesn't really come back or or connect to anything else. So... I felt like the the characters in isolation were interesting and could have been like the perfect character for a certain movie, but it, I didn't have a good grasp on why they were in 
this movie. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree as far as like, they could have had a punchier ending that both sort of showed some kind of, um, felt it more clear, whether it's obvious or not, um, character journey. But I think for me, it was enough to hang my hat on with just having like, OJ at the beginning showing he needs his sister to give the presentation and can't do it himself that he's that nervous and uncomfortable to just seeing, even though it's not necessarily a journey, at least the end we are seeing where he does shine and that he can take control when he has to and he's in his element. So that was just, I guess, yeah, even though it's not an evolution, it was a A to B contrast that was enough for me in that sense. Or I will kind of agree, I guess, with both of you too. On the ending, you know, the last shot, they get the picture. It was, it did kind of me, leave me going like, okay, cool. But like, did they even, is that enough proof or something? Right. Like, right. I don't know. You I felt like there could have been. pretty easily. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I felt like there could have been one more beat of almost maybe it, showing that it wasn't proof. Just something to just make us. Yeah, chew on that that little little bit more rather than just by the end going totally in just to action film mode. They save the day. Well, can I say one one thing on this point of character uh, arc? I think what is the, I think I, I'm sure there may be a term for this, Michael. You probably know. I think that there's a a conflict dynamic that's missing that that we that is used for the effect of the 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 cathartic moment and it's so so typically i feel like in most really really famous movies maybe maybe not necessarily good but like i think that this this device is used often and it's effective it's the it's the the fall before the triumph sort of moment right like the conflict that we see in well, let me just describe what I would have done. I would have had a scene before the actual final sequence where M and OJ, they come to a head with their worldviews. And it it should, I think, story-wise, boil down to something. In their case, I would say you boil it down to their dad. He's dead. The, all of this is happening because of that in in a way. And what does that represent for the two of them and have them essentially uh, conflict to a point of like like everything falling apart? Um, I guess a really basic example of this is Han Solo leaving before the final battle and then coming back and then that there's a catharsis in him saving Luke in the last moment so that we can win the day. Not having those kinds of things. I mean, it happens in Jaws. It happens in Close mm -hmm. Encounters. Like, like Quint destroys the radio when when mm -hmm. uh, the chief Brody is trying to call for help. Right, like that's the, it. I guess essentially is is the all is lost moment in most films. Using that's what Pressfield, I think, is the Save the Cat guy. Is that right? Um, uh, Blake Snyder. No, is Save the Blake oh, Blake Snyder. Snyder. That's right. Pressfield yeah, yeah. did another book, I think, called the the art of war or war of art. I forget which, whichever oh, yeah. one's not the famous <laughs> war, war of art. Yeah. Probably. The war of art. Okay. Thank you. Art of war. Yeah. The art of war. Um, <laughs> not that one. 
Um, but yeah, so like, and and exactly, like Sid Field talks about this. Like, this is a story component that we that is sort of tried and true. We know about, it, and there's many different ways to do it. And this movie doesn't do it. There's never a moment where the two of them sort of go, "Fuck you!" Actually, I've I'm I've had it with this you know, the status quo of whatever, or the thing that the unsaid thing or the unspoken thing between us is never addressed. And maybe that's fine. This movie doesn't really have that. I mean, it kind of sort of suggests it in the in the beginning, but then that, right. that then it's gone. It never really comes back around in any sort of way. There's like a very brief moment where they're in the house and she's like looking out the window and she says something about like, I remember... You and dad training my horse. That was my horse. And he says something about like, you don't really know what's going on or what it really meant or something like that. And then it just kind of dropped. Like I, I didn't develop into anything like you're saying. Right. So it's like, I feel like the, like the, the, the beginnings of, of that thing existing are, are kind of sprinkled in, but it never really gets there. And so when we get to this moment of like recall of like, oh, I'm going to sacrifice myself. I got you. You're my sister. We're all like, it's going to be all okay because I'm going to save the day. Without those things, that moment doesn't mean so much or even matter to me. Um, Like his... His uh, sacrifice is kind of like, okay. Mm-hmm. And then he's right. not dead anyway in the end. So, <laughs> right. great. Like, yay, we, he, he didn't die, which I guess is good. I mean, I'm cool with him not dying, but I don't need all this other stuff then if right. he doesn't die. So, I don't know. Yeah, like, did the dad passing away actually add anything? Was it an example of just a setup that ended up being one thing too many? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, does it come back around in any way? It's not like he took the nickel from the bag and that it was the key to destroying the monster or something like <laughs> right. that. Right. Like what if she here, like what if she had gotten to, you know, he had said before he died, he's like, here's, here's the nickel that killed dad. Right. <laughs> and then she's got in her pocket and then the machine that takes the picture only takes nickels. <laughs> and she's like, Oh my God, I have a nickel right here. As an example. Like, too much. Right. That I, I think that's over the top. You know, like too too connected, kind of working too hard at the cliche. Could have been could have been neat though. Like if it was like a part of the story was like we're we're learning to work together as a family, and like in the final moment, like the dad can't be there, but symbolically you are here, dad. You are the thing that's going to let us take. The, like I think there's a way to do that and have it be. You know, I think science is is compared to this a lot, and I think science yeah. has science doesn't super duper work for me, but it has emotional character arc stuff and like swing away right to destroy the (laughs) thing like means something at least so there's like emotionality attached to it even if it's a little goofy it is like there or even if we just saw how yeah this was something that they were both sort of coming at from different angles and recovering from their own way the death and you know had to come into their own and then we saw that in terms of um yeah clear arcs then that's just enough in itself uh, or it could be enough in itself. But uh, I feel like I got to circle back on the kind of the characters as representation of theme. Because even though if I'm with you guys that um, 
there was no, yeah, clear ending or arc that I, I was aware of that sort of solidified anything. I think as far as coming at the theme from different angles and why their characters were there was like more than there for me. Like we had, so you're thinking in terms of spectacle in specifically exploitation of nature, animal world, whatever, whatever. Those are words to get at what the theme is. We have main guy OJ who has the genuine kind of um, understanding and relationship with it that does save the day in the end. Then we have the sister who's sort of only on the presentation side. She knows how to like gloss it up and make it look good and is almost like worry-free in that regard. Then we have uh, Ricky Jupe Park who thinks he has a special relationship and understanding, but really has just only exploited it as a way to deal with that initial, like what he thought was uh, maybe um, an understanding or, or privileged position. That We have the cinematographer who, I mean, you couldn't be more like on the nose. He's obsessed with watching nature videos and <laughs> animals eat and hunt each other. Like he's like, he's that's all he's watching. Like some like madman, whatever we cut to him. And then he, in the end, that's what drives him to like, he wants to get the perfect shot of whatever that obsession is and like having to, to, to document that 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 nature or whatever it is something outside of us in our form then even down to to angel the fries guy he's the one out of all of them who's actually like into this stuff and sort of the open-minded ufo enthusiast way like he's our our lens into the world that way he actually is the only one out of them who wants to do it so i feel like those are jumping off points points down the line like for all of them that for me at least we're coming at these different angles of the themes and the situation but don't you think okay so i i actually think that what you're saying is is great the the thing that is it based on what you just described M should be the one to connect with the animals at the end and take over the role of OJ. If like I would, I would have built it that they have this plan. OJ is going to execute the plan, and then the plan doesn't work, and she has to find her inner horse wrangler person <laughs> to to accomplish the goal because that's the thing that she doesn't have. And then right. we would feel actualization for her that she is a part of this family, that she does have connection to why that family has existed in this world for the last 130 years or whatever it is, right? That would make sense to me from a character arc point of view. Well, and I feel like that's a great example of how you use characters to express an arc. So like you have a character that starts off not getting the thing and by the end, they've gotten the thing. And part of the journey along the way is like them realizing it. And as they're realizing it or discussing it with people with different values, that's putting it in the mind of the the viewer. And, and I think that's, I think I also agree that everything you just laid out there, Brian, is, is cool. And again, I wish the movie was better at signaling to me that this is what I should be paying attention to in this movie. Because it almost feels like, like I wish... Jordan Peele walked up and down every aisle and handed out a pamphlet that was like, here are the themes to be looking out for. Here are the ideas. Like, here are, you know, exploitation and this thing and blah, 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 blah. If I had had that the whole time as like a cheat sheet, I think I probably would have enjoyed the movie more. But the whole point is that that's not what you want your audience to have to do to engage with these ideas. Like, the movie should be 
putting it in the minds, either there's the bad, overt, direct way where someone is just like, you know, you need to learn this thing, person. Or there's like subtle, intricate, like, you know, subtextual ways to have it there. But I think it needs to be there and be present so that when we are looking at these characters, we have that framework in mind of like, this is why this character is meaningful in this world, because they represent this take on this idea that is being explored. And now pay attention to what happens to them in this movie, because that will be representing symbolically what the movie is saying about these ideas as they change and who lives and who dies. Jaws is a great example of that, where like there's conflict between the three of them as they set off to sea because they have different worldviews and different values and they think of, you know, the shark and the sea differently and responsibilities. And so like, yes, they're hunting for a shark, but you also have these great scenes where they're just having character moments, but it's meaningful because you know where they're coming from and what they believe. And so it, it makes all, when all of it's working together and it makes each part of it more meaningful. And that, yeah, was the thing that was That's lacking a- for me. What you're pointing at, too, Jaws is such a good example of doing this. They can have conflict, but at the end of the day, they end up having mutual respect for each other because they each have skill in their field. And in this case, you know, so, for example, in Jaws, when uh, Quint is is uh, harpooning the shark and um, uh, Richard Dreyfuss's character has to tie the... um, what do you call that? The beacon off Mm -hmm. and he's tying it to the barrels and he's like, don't wait for me. You know, I'll get it because this is a thing that I actually am good at. I might not be, you know, rough handed, you know, blue collar guy, but I am good at this thing. Let me do it. I'll, I'll do it in time. Kiki Palmer's character M, we have nothing in this movie to suggest what she's actually good at. I mean, I guess at the end she takes the picture. Okay, but that's not a character thing. That's just a that's just a Well, again, the setup moment. was there where she excels. Where? Right. The- and she she gives the presentation that the brother can. Okay. Okay, sure, but like yeah, so why don't we get that? Like we don't get anything to like to me that's almost too abstract like she's good at performing but like that's not a skill in this case now I, i'm sure we could we could collectively come up well, with a way to explain. you already that, said right? that if she's all about presenting the spectacle then you have it so there's the moment where she has to come up with a new plan right like i would have loved to see her have to put oj on the back of the horse, like if he gets injured or whatever and she's trying to save him, that she has to get the horse to lean down, which is a thing that they do. That's a thing that her dad, their dad was able to do, right? Get down so that they can get on it when he's injured. Have her have to make that horse do that thing. Have her get OJ on the back of the horse so he's facing the alien. So it is drawing them away from whatever, maybe the cinematographer at that point or whatever it is. Like we're not doing any of those things that sort of like having these setups coalesce into a a, a moment that makes us all go, Oh, she solved it. She did it. Like she got the thing and not having that really just kind of made the whole thing fizzle for me. I'm like, I don't care if she gets the picture of the thing. 
Right. Well, and that like like you're saying, Ryan, there is setup of, you know, she's the spectacle person and OJ is maybe the more like, you know, really gets it person. But when the, the idea they come up with is a, a spectacle thing, right? We're going to take a picture of it and OJ's like on board pretty quickly. Like that feels like that should be a setup for a conflict of like, no, like we're not going to exploit like this thing for money and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, no, we have to. And that's the only way. And so he Mm. does kind of, and like, they can be like learning from each other as they, you know, you know, are driven toward this thing or pulled toward, I don't know. I think there was opportunities for that, them to use these differing points of view to create conflict and to motivate plot. uh, That was, yeah. Opportunities that were missed. Yeah. I have a question. Uh, there's a film reel. There, they they film the alien. There's two full cranked oh, right. film reels. Where'd those go? Right. That's again why it could we, have had some ending tag afterward. Ending. We don't have we don't have right. a moment. Maybe there was a scene or a shot where where like uh the fries guy after he's been sucked in or not sucked in and dropped out, like that he lands next to the film canisters and they're exposed and they're out and we go, oh shit, well, they didn't get it. So now we're really screwed. We don't have the, the uh, what would you call that? The reversals that I think are necessary to kind of make all of those things matter, right? Like yeah. we spent all this time in the movie setting up that the cinematographer is going to be camoed under there and they're changing the film reels and they're like doing all of the things and then that's just gone. Yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah, just one thing to circle back on real quick. We can wrap up this section. Um, yeah, I, I, I do see the one, as far as in terms of the one thing, too many thing, and kind of what you're saying earlier, Michael, of like, um, yeah, when you were talking about it earlier, I was thinking of the opening scene, the chimpanzee attack scene, when you're saying like how, yeah, you just need, Stuff that's just a little more there and present, so then those connections can be being made. Like the the shoe standing on its front, like that. I love that as an idea, and it's cool. And of course, I, I can see how it connects and everything. I but can't. It to- I don't get it. It's it's. I saw it as like um, it's a. Uh, <laughs> you know what? You got me. I did. <laughs> I had the thought earlier, but I forget. I don't know what that means. What does that mean? Why is it on its end? Is it just like the weirdness of the world? At the time, I was thinking it was um, some kind of alien connection thing, but then that distracted even more in Mm. the end. But now I just saw it. I think he talks about it in the movie as like a crazy, unexplainable thing that happens. So I just saw it as another just sort of like when the way he puts it in the glass, it's one more example of just kind of like trying to commoditify, what would that word? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Commodify, uh, (laughs) profitize something that shouldn't or can't be. But anyways, my point being um, that distracted me from what could have been sort of just make the scene about the dude's connection with the chimpanzee and the fist bump moment. So then we can really call back to it and make the connection when how that's how that's he's how that that is how he's relating to the uh, parachute monster. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then uh, last little things that did not work for me. 
Uh, CG Gordy, unfortunately, I think was part of the reason why I had a hard time getting on board with the characters when a movie starts out with effect that wasn't 100% for me. I don't know. Hoping on subsequent Gordy viewings. Gordy's the chimp. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hoping on subsequent viewings, it won't bother me. Um, and then as cool and alien as I thought the monster design was, it's just in itself not my favorite thing. Like I almost yeah. just wish they were fighting like a giant lizard or something. <laughs> That'd be <Right>. cool. <laughs> because like if it was a giant lizard, then you have a touch point of like, oh, I know how a lizard moves and I know what a lizard can do. It can bite me, it can whip me with its tail. That was one of my problems with the monster is like, oh, that's cool. That, that So it's the monster. What can it? Okay, so it can fly fast, but how fast? <laughs> well, okay, pretty fast, and it can suck up people. What's the accuracy on it? Sometimes it gets, but, but there's a zone outside of which if you're not in the right zone, you can just get thrown up in the air like a twister. Uh, mm. And so, okay, so it's kind of scary if you're looking at it, and it can get right on top of you, and it's accurate, uh, and it wants to suck up inflatable face people, but it hates plastic flags, so those are that's its weakness. Anyway, right, and it little... poops metal, and the whole <laughs> misdirect of uh, UFO and with uh, aliens or not, it could have been a straight up werewolf, or if it had to be more whatever, it could have been a, a werehorse. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I yeah the uh, you had mentioned this earlier, Michael, the sort of the rules of the monster, and yeah, it doesn't feel like that ever comes together appropriately. Like I don't. Maybe this is a thing like nothing about the final design is is threatening to me. Like I don't look at that and go, oh, man, scary. Look out. Yeah, except for its right. innards, which, again, uh, were great. Its digestion process, I think, was a great. Yeah, at that, it, in that moment, sure. I would have liked to spend more of the movie in its innards. Yeah. But yeah. I know I feel you as just like a thing. It's not a viscerally intense, scary monster thing. Maybe that's to like there. There's a reason for that. Like that. That's a, a there's a justification. But I don't know what that would be. Right. That I it's mean, just it, alien. It feels quotations. like it's supposed to be saying, well, it's just it's just an animal. It's not good or bad. But also, it mm-hmm. feels like the movie really wants us to kill it. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it was also kind of vague for me. Right. Hmm. All right. Well, I think that's enough. Dismember it for what did not work here. So we can move on with our last big section. Things of note. Things of note. (laughs) This should be interesting. Okay. I have one thing of note. And again, maybe I'm reaching, but I think putting... What well, having the coin, the specific coin that kills the father, be the coin in our U.S. Uh, currency that has Thomas Jefferson on it, speaks to some potential larger uh, uh, thematic idea about race and racism in our country. Am I? Is that too too far? No? I don't know. Okay, I buy that. It could it could I... be any coin, right? It could be any coin. Right, like you know, doesn't Jordan even have Peele, to be a U.S. coin. Right, chose a specific coin, so like, yeah, I think we're definitely. It was one of those things where I was like, "Oh, there's meaning in here." I don't have time to think about it right now, but I'm sure there's meaning behind <laughs> well, which president. And that to is. me, that begs this bigger question of like, does everything have to have meaning? 
And I don't know. I mean, I don't. Do, does it do anything for the film, or is it just a nod? Well, so I, I think, I think the the cinematic language being used. I think everything in a movie should be there for a reason, because there's a reason you chose that instead of something else. But I think the cinematic language can draw your attention to what part of a thing is meaningful, right? So like the the shot where he pulls that coin out, it's framed so that we see which coin it is very specifically. Like it's about the movie wants us to see which coin it was that killed him. You could have framed that shot so that you don't see it. Or it's like, you know, a wider shot or from like a profile. It's just like, oh, you know, money of some kind killed him. So I think that's, I think the movie in many ways is trying to signal like, no, this has meaning. Like, think about this. But it's not always clear to me what that meaning is supposed to be. And so, so yeah, I don't think you're crazy for looking for meaning in all these details. Because I think the movie is inviting that kind of reading. Yeah. Yeah. Any other uh, things that didn't fall under what worked or what did not work, Michael, you, made you ponder? No. I, you know, UFOs are cool. I'm glad that we're, we're playing with UFOs again. <laughs> so you want to hear some fun UFO connection stuff from this film that I personally picked up on being a UFO somewhat enthusiast? <laughs> are you a U- ufologist or an ufologist? A uh, UAP now they're called, right? Oh my right? God, yeah. <laughs> Unidentified aerial phenomenon <laughs> is what mm-hmm. uh, it's what uh, the media is now calling them. But no, it's from something um, I wrote a treatment for. I went in deep on all this stuff, UFO abduction lore. So what was fun where there is a connection to uh, uh, the lore that's out there is um, the idea of UFOs being totally silent, the idea that they can use cloud cover like UFO shaped clouds being actual UFOs, totally a thing or whatever. The uh, electronics dying, that's definitely one. And the, 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 the very particular one not a lot of people may know about is with uh, UFO sightings and whatnot, there's apparently a correlation with sort of the appearance of somewhat out of place or large animals or insects. So that was that little moat with the, um, the praying, praying mantis. mantis where it was like, could have just been coincidence or whatever, but what made me think maybe uh, he knew about that or might be a fan of all this stuff is they they um, had to specify like with a line, like I haven't seen one of those things in ages or something like that. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So well, to go down my list here, um, uh, always got to connect to our other episodes. Oz Perkins, mm-hmm. uh, he made a cameo. That is Anthony Perkins' son at the beginning. Uh, plays the director. Yeah, so he's the director, and he is a horror director, and we dismembered I Am the Pretty Little Thing That Lives in the House, and I'm a big fan of Gretel and Hansel. Jordan Peele, he asked the cinematographer when sort of discussing how to shoot it. He said, well, what would you use to capture a UFO? And he said, well, IMAX cameras, which is cool because then in the movie, they're using like a hand crank IMAX camera to capture it. And that's what they use for real outer space photography. Um, the assembly cut was three hours, 45 minutes. Whoa. So there's a Whoa. lot of movie in there. <laughs> and I think that included actual explanation for what this thing was, which I'm glad they didn't include, but it's interesting to know that's out there. 
um, Terry Notary, who that was a human actor that played the chimp Gordy out of like, you know, um, you know, mocap mode or whatever. He was born in my hometown of San Rafael, neighboring where you're from too, Michael. And um, in his scenes, the furniture in the room was 30% larger. So when he was acting <laughs> against it, he was properly chimp size. That's cool. Michael, it made me uh, nostalgic for our era working together, seeing the Burbank fries and all mm-hmm. our visits there. And I'm so glad they got to preserve that in this movie. Yeah, I cracked up when I saw it. It's such a great, yeah, oh, yeah, it was great. It was really fun. They um, shot it there just a few weeks after it closed down, rest in peace. So I'm glad they got I to preserve it. Yeah. Knew that it closed down. Wow, that's sad. I thought we we texted about that. I swear I texted you and Alex Maybe. like end of an era. I have a terrible memory. You texted for these me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then last thing I had. Um, just going to read a, a little blurb. This is from the Yahoo Movies review. I really enjoyed the review, but I just kind of have to push up against. Just curious if you guys have any thoughts on this. Um, the Yahoo review. The reviewer said, I'm not into horror. I don't feel like feeling scared at the movies, but I love Peel's work. His films don't seek to scare the hell out of us the way it or Saw does. Peel likes to make us jump. He loves to play with suspense and release, but he's not trying to give us nightmares. In moments when he could really freak us out, he turns the camera away. We see a chimp covered in human blood and we gasp, but when Gordy is beating on human bodies, the action is hidden behind a couch or a door. We see humans get sucked up into the alien and we know they're getting eaten because we hear the blood curdling screams, but most of the action is obscured peel's work is horror light if it's horror at all i just feel like that's a total i mean to each their own subjective definitions or whatever but that's not at all how i define horror he's just talking about like showing visceral violence or not for me like peel's work thus far has been like upper echelon horror films and what we've had recently and the moments he mentions in this film were like the standout horror moments for me like with that like this the tenseness of gordy beating those bodies was way more i mean and saw in it i didn't feel afraid of anything or whatever but like this film i actually get a horror feeling from it a mm-hmm. horrific feeling from watching it so so yeah, like the rest of his review, but I really had to push up against that idea. I don't does know, as a like, non-whore person, Michael, any? Well, yeah, it does feel like a, a miscategorization of what makes something horror or what like makes something scary. And, and that is subjective, obviously. But yeah, the idea that something is only scary or horror if it's like gory or, uh, yeah, I don't know, indulgent in... You know, that kind of violence feels, uh, yeah, feels like kind of missing the mark. I would agree. Like something oftentimes is scarier when you can't see what's happening. Like I think it was scarier to just be like there was a chimp and there was a man and we know violence is happening and we hear the sounds, but we're not seeing it. Like that's a, that means that the the violence is happening in your imagination inside your head versus on your, on the screen. And what's in your head can often be scarier than what is on screen, so. Yeah, yeah just I the would... sound, so violent. Oh, that was kind of another what didn't work for me. It's super particular. You guys may be able to relate, but we need to cycle further down the animal sound effects uh, database <laughs> when working with like chimps and horses and stuff. Because I felt for both of them, there were those <laughs> like the first one that comes up, right? <laughs> with like, right. Wah, wah, that chimp sound <laughs> that's in everything. <laughs> like to the point where I was like, 
do animals actually all just sound the same? Because, like, I know there are good sound designers working on this, but it feels like I've heard this sound effect a million times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, oh, God, it's so tense, though. I love the moment when Gordy looks at camera and then it cuts. So good. Mm. Um, anyway, great. That's what I have for things of note here. So I think we can wrap it up, wind down here to see if we have any recommendations for our listeners. Anything at all we've been consuming? Michael, do you want to go first or last here? Uh, either way, I can go first. All right, start us off here. All right. Uh, I recently watched the TV show on Apple TV Plus called Severance. Uh, mm-hmm. I was a little bit late to that party, um, but I am obsessed with it and really, really loved it. I think it's I think the amount that I love it is probably more than the good that it is, but that is really good. And I think that the cinematography, the editing, the concept, the execution of it just like press all of my little Michael buttons and I really enjoyed it. Uh, I also realized watching it, uh, I guess I won't won't say anything too much as, as spoilers, but when watching it, Ryan, I was like, oh, like this is what anamnesis was like supposed to be like someone figured out how to do anamnesis good uh so yeah so it was also <laughs> just fun to to see concepts that i like uh executed at a very high level so severance right. on apple tv plus uh, I'll maybe uh, get. I watched the first episode, but then didn't keep watching it. As soon as it was, it like the sister or girlfriend came on or something in the first episode. I was kind of like, oh, "This is going to be like a big old show and everything, huh?" And I just <laughs> was like, didn't, didn't keep watching. <laughs> but I, I stuff I liked about. It, I'll give it. I'll, I'll watch episode two then. How about you, Tim? Um, I went and saw the uh, new Baz Lorman film Elvis. Mm. I went in thinking I would hate it, uh, and I actually think it's one of the better films I've seen in a while. I don't know why. I'm not even sure it's a good movie so much as it just, I loved watching it. The performance is pretty remarkable. I, I will, like, the dude who is playing him, whose name now escapes me, it, it does a, a, quite an incredible. There are moments in the movie where I, I actually wondered if they were. Like that they took footage of Elvis and the actor and somehow morphed them together because I was like, wait, that's that's the actor, but it's also Elvis. What the hell is happening? And there's film technique stuff going on in that. I mean, I guess you expect that from Baz Luhrmann at this point, like that is quite remarkable. Um and it's just fun. It's like a really, like the music is great, obviously. And it sent me down this path of listening to like every Elvis song ever and buying Elvis records again. And like, <laughs> it's really wild. I so, love Elvis. I'll go I, see it. Man. Yeah. And we're like, happily, we'll go see it again in the theater. Like that's not a, a super typical thing for me. So yeah, it was cool. Great. I got a recommended season four of Stranger Things. Uh, I think that show gets better with every season. It's a really interesting example of nowadays something that, uh, what do you call it? They had the the COVID extension, I guess, where they were able to go back to the writer's room because of the production being delayed and like really fix some things up. Best season yet. If you uh, like it at all, check it out. I'm right. so excited to see how they wrap it up with oh, this yeah. last season mm-hmm. because 
if you're like me and you get on the Twitters and the TikToks and start going down the uh, the slippery slopes, it, there's some speculation that if they even touch on some of the things that people are thinking could happen, it will be incredible. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> um, very excited for that. Great. Well, ending with our guest here. I mean, usually it's custom to shout out and if you want to promote whatever, Michael, but I feel like if anyone's here, they should know about your uh, podcast already beyond the screenplay. So I want to ask, is there anything on your filmmaking side that you want to give a little love to send people to check out if they may not be aware of it? I wish I had something new to send people to. I guess I will send out into the universe that there are things that I am working on that hopefully one day soon I can send people to. Like there's a music video that I shot a year ago and still isn't done that I'm really excited to finish. And there's a screenplay that Alex and I are working on that's still not done. So I am going to take this moment as the universe putting pressure on me to actually go out and do that, do that other stuff. So... Next time I, I'm on, perhaps I can report back and have specific things to send people to. Awesome. We look forward to it, to having you on and whatever the it <laughs> may be. Awesome. All right. Well, then, thank you for being here. And thank you all for listening. In closing, remember, don't look it directly in the eye. Thanks for listening. <laughs> and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. 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 Ha, 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 ha.